Well, I invite you to take out your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 8. And also, uh, you have some notes in the worship folder, so I invite you to take those out as, as well. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I sure appreciate being able to be in San Diego uh, on nice warm day. We talked to our son this morning in Kansas City, and he said it was five degrees, and our daughter-in-law said, no, it's warmed up to 17. Wow. Um, well, in the last few weeks, we've taken a look at some of Jesus' claims of who he said he was. He said he was uh, the light. He said he was the vine. And this morning, we want to look at another very important thing that Jesus said about himself when he said that he uh, was, before Abraham was born, he said, I am. And by saying that, he was claiming to be God. You know, we celebrate the incarnation today, uh, God becoming man. And this was what God had to do to reach us, become a baby. But who is that baby? Well, we can't let the fact that he was born as an infant distract us from who he really is. So we've been doing a few of these I am statements so that we can hear from Jesus' own lips what he is saying. Uh, so what was happening in the first century? Think of what's happening in the world today. In the first century, Luke tells us at that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their ancestral towns to register for this census. And why was the census there? Because they needed money. They wanted to tax the people. That was the news. Um, it was kind of like uh, what happened in the first century, like what happened in the year 1809. Um, in that year, the international scene was pretty tumultuous. Uh, a, a French general named Napoleon was on a tear through Europe and Austria and leaving a lot of death and destruction behind him. Nobody was thinking of babies that year, uh, but the world was overlooking some very significant births that happened in that year. Uh, William Gladstone was born in the year 1809 in England. He became one of England's finest statesmen. In that same year, Alfred Tennyson was born to a minister who lived in an obscure village in England and he would uh, greatly impact the literary world. On the American continent, Oliver Wendell Holmes was born in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Uh, he was a legal scholar, a great legal scholar, and uh, ended up being a justice of the Supreme Court. Uh, just a little bit further south of him, very close in Boston, Edgar Allan Poe began his eventful and also tragic life. And in that same year, there was a cry of a newborn infant in a log cabin in Kentucky, whose name was Abraham Lincoln. But in that year, nobody noticed them. Nobody noticed those births. If there had been news broadcasts at the time, uh, what we would have heard is that the destiny of the world is being shaped by an, on an Austrian battlefield today. But history was actually being shaped in the cradles of England and America. 
The year Jesus was born, most people missed it. Only a few were aware of the amazing implications of his presence in a manger in Bethlehem. And it's the way it often is when God works, I find. Um, most of it's behind the scenes, hardly visible, rarely makes headlines. And yet God is at work in people's lives in a very eternal way. In a similar way, everyone thought that taxation was the big news of the first century when Jesus was born. But a young Jewish woman, maybe as young as 13 years old, Mary, was cradling an infant Jesus in her arms in a manger in Bethlehem. So as we celebrate Christmas today, uh, let's read the passage about who this baby was. John chapter 8, I'd like to begin at verse 31. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If you want to skip down now to verse 51. Very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaimed, now we know that you are demon possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets, yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him. And yet you have seen Abraham? Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. This is God's word. So the question the people asked was in verse 53. Who do you think you are? And that question is answered in verse 58, when Jesus answers that before Abraham was, I am. So Jesus is calling himself, I am. And what I'd like to do in the next few minutes is put this into the context 
that it was in this time and uh, so we can understand it. And the first thing to understand is that the confrontations that Jesus was having with the religious people were getting more intense and more hostile. Um, and look at verse 31. Jesus is talking here to the Jews who had believed in him. So get this, he's speaking to believers. He's speaking to people who like Jesus. So Jesus made three unbelievable claims, and you have them on your outline if you're following along. And his first claim is in verse 31. I will set you free. The, the Jews come back and they say in verse 33, we're Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Well, now, if you know anything about the Old Testament, anything about Jewish history, you know that's not true. They were slaves. They were slaves in Egypt. They were slaves in Babylon. So why is he saying we've never been slaves? Well, he's not talking about that kind of slavery. What he's saying, what they're talking about is an inner freedom. And, and these Jews say uh, wrongly, but they're saying, look, we follow, we're, we're biblical. We, we're religious. We follow what the, the, our, the commandments say. The slavery you're talking about, Jesus, you need to speak to the pagans. They're the ones who aren't free. We're religious. We're free. And what Jesus says in response is important because it helps us to understand who he is. Jesus is saying that you can be a spiritual slave whether you are religious or irreligious. And he gives an illustration in verse 35. And he says, imagine a servant of the head of a household and this head of the household also has a son. And so in a lot of ways, the son and the servant are very similar. They look pretty much alike. They both live in the home. They're both fed by the head of the home. They both obey the head of the home. But their relationship with the head of the home is utterly different. It's completely different. The servant lives in fear because if he disobeys, he may be beaten or he may be sent away. The son has a totally different relationship with the head of the household. Even if he disobeys, he knows that he won't be sent out from the household. Jesus is telling the Jews that they have just as much of a slavish relationship to God as the pagans. It's a different kind of slavishness than being a, a physical slave to someone, but it was slavery all the same. Look at verse 34. Jesus explains. He says, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. That's what he was telling the Jews who were religious, who thought they weren't sinning because they were keeping, trying to keep all the commandments. But Jesus knows that they were falling very short. And on your outline, Jesus says, unless you come to the Father, you'll remain slaves. In other words, Jesus is saying, I can give you a relationship with your Father that's based on intimacy, and it's based on love, and it's based on security. Whereas your relationship to the Father right now is one that's based on, on, on pride. It's based on fear. 
What Jesus is really saying is, I'm not just a teacher who wants to change your behavior. I want to move you from being a slave to being a son, to being a child of the king, a child of God. That's why Jesus is saying in verse 35, now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So Jesus is saying, you're slaves, I want you to be a son. You know, the nation of Israel was founded on the books of Moses like the United States was founded on the Constitution. The problem with the priests and the scribes and all of the religious people is that they had, uh, they had never allowed the print on the page to get into their hearts and lives. Uh, they failed to internalize what they supposedly cherished. So here's the danger. You can hear about the gospel message. You can even benefit from it, like when your parents or your grandparents are believers, but never truly make it your own. That was the problem here. That was the problem in a small village in, the, in, in, in Russia uh, called Kalinovka where the priest of the town was trying to do anything he could to encourage the kids to come to Sunday school, and so he would give them candy when they came. And he would give them candy when they memorized Bible verses, and there was one kid in particular, a rather big kid, who would uh, learn all the Bible verses. He even went above and beyond everybody else and learned all the books of the Bible in order. That young man knew the Bible better than any of his friends. And 60 years later, he was still quoting the Bible. He knew it better than any of his other countrymen in Russia. His name was Nikita Khrushchev. And he was the head of the Communist Party in Russia. And the problem was he learned a lot of verses in his head, but he never transferred them to his heart and to his life. And this is especially dangerous for second and third generation Christians who enjoy the benefit of a, of a Christian culture, but they fail to make the truths of scripture their own. And they go to their grave never having appropriated the truths that they heard growing up. So that's Jesus' first claim. That's quite a claim. I will set you free. The second claim that Jesus made is in verse 51, and that is that if anyone keeps my word, they will never see death. Jesus is saying, I'm not only saying that I can give you an inner experience of liberation and freedom right now, but I can give it to you in such a way that it lasts forever. In other words, through me, you can be assured that three trillion years from now, you will still have a relationship with God the Father. And then in verses 52 and 53, the Jews say to Jesus, why are you talking to us like this? We're children of Abraham, don't you get it? And Jesus then makes this radical statement in verse 56. Look at verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And the Jews could hardly believe their ears because Abraham, like all of Judaism at that time, was looking forward to what the prophets called and kept referring to as the day. 
And the day that the prophets were talking about was when all suffering will end. When everything that's wrong in the world will be made right. And Jesus saying, is saying here, my day is the day. My coming is the coming. I am the salvation that the prophets were talking about. And the religious people wanted to laugh Jesus off. Look at, at verse 57. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? They were trying to make a fool of him. They didn't know about them at that time, but th th what they were saying is, Jesus, were you using a time machine or something? This is ridiculous. You can't go back and see Abraham. But Jesus doesn't let, let him off the hook here. Look at verse 58. Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. And that leads us to the third claim in the passage. And that is when Jesus said that, that phrase, before Abraham was, I am, he is making a claim to be God. And this is what we're celebrating today. When Jesus was born, he was fully God. And he was fully man. And through his work on the cross, that's why he was born, to die on a cross, we are reconciled, we can be reconciled to the Father. You know, think of it this way. I know we have some dog lovers in this congregation. I know some of you are dog lovers. I love dogs. But if your dog uh, and every dog, uh, take a dog that's at your feet, and if your dog was in distress and you knew that every other dog was in distress, uh, would you be willing to become a dog? Now think about that. Can't be reversed. You become a dog, you become a dog. Uh, you would put down your human nature. You would leave your loved ones, your job, uh, your hobbies, the, the art you love, the literature you love the, to read, music, and choose instead of the intimate communion with the ones you love uh, being able to, the poor substitute of, of looking at your uh, master and wagging your tail. That would be all that you would be able to do. Well, Christ became a man and limited the thing which was to him the most precious thing in the world. And that was his unhampered, unhindered relationship with his heavenly father, with, his, with God the Father. And there's no question that the Jews understood exactly what Jesus was saying. Just look at their response in verse 59. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Why did they have that reaction? Why did they want to kill him? Because they knew he was claiming to be God. And why, was it, why did they have this? What were they thinking of? I think their minds had to race back to Exodus chapter three when Moses encounters God in the burning bush. And Moses asks God and says, who are you? What is your name? And God replies from the burning bush, I am that I am. And by saying that, what God was saying is I depend on nothing. I depend on no one. Everything that exists depends on me. I existed before there was a universe. I have no beginning. And that means that everything else has their beginning in me. 
And so what was their response? I'll tell you what it wasn't. It wasn't, oh, you are a good teacher. Boy, I hear that over and over again today. You know, Jesus was a good teacher, but he wasn't God. Well, that wasn't an option in the first century when Jesus was talking to them. You know, think about uh, of you hearing about somebody who's very uh, distinguished and you want to go and hear them give a lecture. And say they go to give, give a lecture in a university uh, campus and, and you go on the campus to, to hear this lecture. And the, the, the lecture, this, this person that you are looking up to for now, you want to hear more from him, says to you and to everybody in the lecture hall, I am ultimate reality. I've always existed. I created the world. I'm the one who actually holds you together. And I hold the universe together. And I'm coming back at the end of time. And your relationship with me will determine where you spend your eternity. What would you think about that person? I think we would have the same reaction that the Jews had to Jesus in verse 52. Look at verse 52. Now we know that you are demon-possessed. That was no compliment. They thought he should be locked up. And that's what we would think if we heard someone say that. And the reason was because what Jesus is saying here is that he's God the Son. You don't believe that he's a good teacher. You either have to believe that he's evil or you believe that he is who he says he is, that he's God the Son. Uh, the best quotation I know about this is from uh, the great thinker C.S. Lewis. And you've got the quote on your outline. Here's the way he put it. I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must never say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. And just to pause for a second, I think this is fascinating because this is exactly what was happening here in the conversation with Jesus and the Jews. So it, Lewis goes on, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great moral teacher. He has not left that option open to us, and he did not intend to. So Jesus is basically saying, and this is the ultimate message of Christmas. I'm either the Lord and Savior of your life or I'm the devil himself. And you should either make me the center of your life and all that you do and all that you think or you should have nothing to do with me. So here's what it comes down to. What do you think of Jesus? Who do you think Jesus is? 
You know, the Italians have a legend about a woman named Bifana who lived along the dusty road on the way to Bethlehem. She was her village's best housekeeper. She was super meticulous. No small task uh, uh, was, was it to keep dust out of your home when you lived in Israel, which is a very dusty country. So late one night, there's a knock at her door. And she opens her door, according to this legend, and sees three kings there. And the kings are on their uh, way to search for a baby to be born who would be the king of kings and the prince of peace. And frankly, what she saw was all the dust they brought into the house with them because she had invited them in to rest for a little bit. And uh, she knew that she was going to have some work to do when they left to clean everything up. And they invited her to go on the journey with them. And her response was, well, I'd love to do that, but I need to get the house back in order. There's a lot of things I need to clean up now that you've been here. She didn't say that, I'm sure, but that's what she was thinking. And she said, let me finish up and I'll, I'll be right behind you. And they said, all you have to do is follow the star. So she worked all night cleaning up the dust and, and from, from these three kings who had been in her house. And near dawn, she put on a heavy cloak and she set out on her way, taking with her a little doll that she had made uh, for this new prince of peace, this king of kings who would be born. Uh, she left her house spotless in the process. But as she looked for the star in the sky, she realized that the, that the sky had clouded over. She couldn't see the star. And it began to rain. And the little doll she had to give to this newborn baby was ruined. And so she went back home. And she said, oh, I'm a foolish old woman. I missed my opportunity to worship this newborn prince of peace. Perhaps someday I will find him. And so the legend is that each year she takes off with a bag of toys and leaves one at every home where there's a child in hopes that one of them will be the child that she was supposed to find that night. You know, it's so easy for us to be distracted in what we're doing and come up with all kinds of excuses as to why we don't want to get right with God. Why now is not the time why I need to have more questions answered. But you can come to him in faith and you're invited to do that. I'm gonna give you the opportunity to do that this morning in just a bit. But God created us to live a life of dependent worship of him. We don't have the power we don't have the wisdom as individuals, as humans, to, to live an independent life. To try to live an independent life apart from God is like trying to drive a boat or steer a boat on a highway. Boats may be beautiful and meticulously made, but they're not made to run on hard surfaces. They're meant to work in the water. Kendra read it for us earlier from John chapter one. And John said this, the one who is the true light who gives light to everyone was coming into the world. 
He came into the world he created, but the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. Those religious people that we're talking about in John 8. John says the world was made by him, by Christ, but the world did not know him. And then there's this amazing turning point in the passage that Kendra read in verse 12 of John chapter one. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God, children of the Father, not servants. And so you may have all kinds of excuses why you have never made Jesus your savior and your Lord. But if one of those excuses is that you've never had the opportunity, I wanna make sure you have that opportunity this morning. You close your eyes and bow your heads with me. Today, Christmas Day, Christ came to redeem you and give you eternal life. And it's a gift he wants to give to you today on this Christmas day. You know, we're gonna sing a song in just a little bit that says, come then to him who lies within the manger. With joyful shepherds proclaim him as Lord. Let not the promised son remain a stranger. In reverent worship, make Christ your adored. Eternal life is theirs who will receive him. With grace and peace, their lives he will adorn. So dear Heavenly Father, I pray this morning for those who have missed out on the joy of knowing you personally. I pray for those who have never received Christ, never believed, never opened their lives and their hearts to you. And while our heads are bowed, one simple prayer of genuine faith can reverse the whole of your life. With all the misunderstandings, all the questions you might have, my invitation to you, God's invitation to you, is to receive Jesus Christ right now by simply saying, Lord, I believe and receive you. I pray like the man that Jesus encountered, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. In your heart right now, you can say, Lord, I receive you, take over my life. Thank you for forgiving my sins and be my savior. And in doing this, Christ is born in you and that's what Christmas is all about. Amen. Well, this is appropriate uh, for us today for a child has been born for us. The gift of a son for us. He'll take over the running of the world. His names will be Amazing Counselor, Strong God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. His ruling authority will grow and there will be no limits to the wholeness he brings. Amen. God bless you. Merry Christmas. Please take this opportunity and introduce yourself to some people sitting around you and wish them a Merry Christmas. <laughs>